<laughs> that's how you Dutch. open. That's how you open up the episode. <laughs> well, I don't know anything about Britney Spears. That's Britney, bitch. I, she baby got hit once or twice, you know. Aww. She should have quit singing that song. Don't hit me again, please. Quit hitting me. <laughs> You're terrible. <laughs> please, for the love of God, please stop hitting me. I'm gonna go write a upbeat pop song about you hitting me. <laughs> Hit me again. I don't know. Just hit me, baby, one more time. Oh, well, then they hit me, baby, one more time. It should have been like, no, baby, quit hitting me. <laughs> you uncultured swine. I know. God damn it. Welcome to the Nightmare Box. Presenting mistakes from made. My name's Brett Bloom. I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the bootylicious, the bodacious... Kristen Bloom. You can't take away effervescent. The beautiful, the effervescent, the bootylicious Kristen Bloom. <laughs> <laughs> the bodacious. The bodacious. <laughs> what time period are you in? <laughs> Alright, dude. <laughs> mm. well, you got some editing done today. Yeah, if you want to call it that. That's a good segue. Into the, the <laughs> long pause while we both sip tea. <laughs> I did. Um, I. It's all separated into chunks. I could just have to like kind of piece it together so it like flows smoothly. But I have the entire interview, including like the special effects ending, finally pieced together. Um, the opening sequence, which we talked about before, where it's like the cleaning off the table and all that, mm-hmm. and then just some B-roll, and it's all in like three separate chunks. So now I have to figure out how to mash those three chunks together to make it look. <laughs> Cohesive. It's close, though. I saw part of the ending today, and it looks really good. I think you've got to cut, like, a second here and a second yeah, here just to get it to line up. Yeah, the timing's not right on any of it, but, uh... But it's close. It's definitely not the correct way to edit, but I find myself, um, on smaller projects like these where it's only, you know, 15 minutes max, so my computer's not, like, bogged down with, yeah. um, these large files that are eating up memory... Um, when I get frustrated with like the pacing or the way it kind of looks collectively as a whole, when it's still the rough draft, I'll go through and like do like some minor color correction on it. So it looks a little more seamless. So like I pieced the ending chunk together and then I was like, this looks terrible. I'm going to color correct it. And then I like went back and watched it. I was like, okay, it's not that bad. The pacing's off, but it's a step closer. (laughs) It's the same process for like when I have to go over a rough draft, it's like, well, I didn't need all of this expository front end, cut Mm -hmm. that shit out. Now this part doesn't make sense. So let me go tinker with, you know, part C over here Mm -hmm. and then see if that inspires me to come back to part A. Yeah, it always makes me feel a little bit better. I'm hoping my new camera's supposed to be here tomorrow. Hell yeah. Hoping once I'm shooting in raw, like raw just looks really like flat and kind of gray toned. Mm -hmm. Like the colors look very neutral. So the footage by itself, not color corrected, isn't going to look good, but it'll look a bit more seamless than my old footage has. Because like my old footage was like very dependent on whether or not I had gotten the white balance right. Why are you fucking up my speech here? (laughs) Should I have a conversation? (laughs) I'm listening. Just got two beers in front of me. No, I'm teasing. Um, My old footage was, like, very dependent on whether or not I had, like, got the white balance right and the way the lighting looked and all that. So, like, whenever the... Like, you're cutting between different takes in the same scene and, like, the color's completely different in those two takes. I'm like, oh, God, this is so bad. So... (laughs) Yeah, I did that today. I was like, let me at least balance the color out because this is irritating me. Well, that will help you too because you you won't have that minor irritant in the background Mm -hmm. so you can work on seaming it together. 
you're supposed to color correct pretty much at the end though like after you have like get a, everything laid out and then correct yeah, it all after you have like a locked picture basically is when you start doing the color correction and the sound score and the final sound mix and stuff like that because it um it's like special effects layers you're layering on top of the footage that's already there yeah. so it slows your computer down so you're not technically supposed to do it that way but like i said while we're shooting these smaller short films and i have a pretty heavy duty heavy duty computer it's not really slowing mine down yeah. to do the color correction work up front so i'm like let me at least do some minor work here well sometimes it's all you can do you know and you know you've not been working on it because we've had so much going on mrs blue <laughs> uh you know as frequently as you normally would so like you haven't had the momentum mm -hmm. in the project that you normally would so some days it's just you know get the minor bit done yeah which i did the ending piece wasn't edited until today so i did get it that looks part really done. sick Kristen threw in this crazy reverse shot which is just it, it's probably my favorite thing i didn't it was longer i'm not going to give away what it is it was longer it like played forward reverse and then played forward again but yeah. it um covered up too much of like you actually talking and there were like moments where you were saying stuff that i wanted to see you mm -hmm. to like kind of feel the weight of it so i'm glad you want to see me because i watched <laughs> it again and i was like jesus christ i can't act. <laughs> that's always how i feel when i watch my own stuff even whenever i was like um like working professionally yeah. like as an actress and model i'd watch my own stuff and be like this is dog shit <laughs> <laughs> well that's why i keep writing angry characters for myself because uh, by the time it's you know take 27 of me trying to say one sentence i'm genuinely pissed off and it comes across <laughs> in film i do think the next one's gonna be a bit more uh organic for both of us hopefully so it's gonna feel yeah. a little more natural i don't want to write a lot of the dialogue like i want to have a couple of lines that we definitely hit but have a lot of it be a lot more candid yeah you know and i do feel like um that was probably maybe my only complaint with this one which it's like a documentary style so of course there was going to be a lot of dialogue but like with happy birthday it's a um, silent film. No dialogue. Yeah, with Happy Birthday, there was no dialogue of any kind. So it was like solely relying on whether or not I could make the individual scenes kind of flow together and keep the mood kind of flowing mm -hmm. together. And I feel like it's a little easier sometimes to make that feel um, organic and less like someone's trying to yeah. act. And then when we start throwing in dialogue, like even whenever, because I'm... I'm technically like interviewing Brett in this new one whenever mm -hmm. I'm talking off screen sometimes like the inflection of my voice changes and doesn't really feel like it's natural mm -hmm. and stuff and I'm like ugh like we talk way too much in this yeah, one <laughs> well we do a lot of podcasting together so that might be you know why it feels inorganic mm -hmm. you know like we're gonna have to wait on a you know somebody to see it and then you know review it mm -hmm. to let us know if it actually came off at all organic but when we do these, we're just, you know, set the mic up, roll with a conversation. We've got a small list of things that we want to cover. If we get to them, we get to them, you know. So because we have so much organic conversation, trying to pretend like we're having a conversation wasn't the right move. Yeah. Which is exactly why I, I think you're right. I think the next one is going to feel more organic because we're just going to set up a camera, I'm do what gonna, we normally yeah. do, and, you know, do it a couple of times. Yeah. eventually you'll forget that the camera's there you're not stressed because you're not having to remember anything you just you know go with the flow it is funny to me though that you like watch just a short clip of yourself and you're like oh god i hate it you know <laughs> and like i was listening because well, i do this dumb thing when i'm pissed off or i tape my glasses off and i twirl them around in my hand like a fucking <laughs> you know little autistic kid 
<laughs> Call you back do, to the last film we watched. You do take your glasses off twice in this film. Yeah, you yeah, do yeah. And I'm like, times. oh my god, that's so fucking lame. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. But I was listening to my own voice, like in my headphones, and I was like, oh god, it sounds like I'm just standing off camera reading from a sheet of paper. <laughs> so like, we're doing this a dry bad. read. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is so. It's gonna bad. look like an audition tape. <laughs> oh, it is kind of. <laughs> this is not. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did gonna... not hit her. I did not. No. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to turn out fine, and it's yeah. it's probably after it's all fine-tuned and I've got some music and stuff on it going to seem a lot more seamless, but right now I'm just like, this is not a good one. This is not our best effort. <laughs> no, but it is an effort, and it'll be an effort that's in the bag. Mm-hmm. You know, and even if happy birthday is the best one that we do all year, which I sincerely doubt, yeah. uh, you're getting a lot of practice in, you're learning a lot. Yeah. You learned how to read off screen. <laughs> I learned that I look really dumb when I play dead. So we had to cut out part Me of too. the film. <laughs> I learned that in Happy Birthday. I, I do not do well at playing dead. <laughs> I've got really jumpy eyelids, though. Like, anytime I close my eyes, they're always, like, fluttering. So yeah. I knew that was going to be a problem. No, I'm not an actor. That's not anything that I've ever wanted to do. Uh, I'm doing it because COVID. Because <laughs> I came up here with a plan, and most plans, uh, God shit all over them. <laughs> I don't know. I think it kind of worked out in our favor, though. Like, we, uh, I mean, I don't want to act in our movies either. So, I mean, yeah. it, w- it will be nice to get to a point where we can actually hire um, talent to actually be in these. But I, I feel like it worked out in our favor. Like, we've gotten to work a lot more intimately with each other in general. Yeah. And then um, I got my new camera, so <laughs> I'm okay with it. <laughs> and it's kind of, te- like, teached us. It's kind of taught us... Um, to, I feel like, be a little more creative in a small space. Like, whenever we yeah. tried to do our December challenge, I was struggling a lot with that. And, like, it's gotten a little bit easier, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, the we got some two. cool footage on the December one that is forever in production hell and will probably just die there. Or we'll try it the same Maybe. script again this yeah. December. I don't um, think we'll be able to reuse any of that footage, unfortunately. I think we'll have to reshoot. Yeah, because I gained about 10 pounds in the coronavirus <laughs> thing. Well, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, not maybe. to be here. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say maybe the next time we tackle that to not be living in a one bedroom apartment. <laughs> but um, no, I like there's really cool footage, and I may just release little like short clips of the footage, like do like a unreleased nightmare box yeah. files like segment or something, and just release like little clips from stuff we've done one day. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't think we'll be able to use any of that footage, which is unfortunate because some of it does look pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I was. I- I'm sorry, go ahead. I was actually thinking about it at the end of uh, this one, because we don't have a ton of outtakes. Like, you know how, like, when you're watching movies and the credits are scrolling, yeah. they have that little side screen, like, doing our little <laughs> blood test is, like, the little, like, outtakes, like, playing as the credits are scrolling, so yeah. you can see us, like, ruining the <laughs> the shower yeah, <laughs> trying to test the blood. that shit up. <laughs> yeah, we found new dots on the wall the other day, which I think are residue from, like, where it was not properly cleaned last go-around, but... <laughs> <laughs> you have to clean those. Um, but you had a new outtake reel that you found today. I was doing already. research for the show, and Kristen just about <laughs> falls off her fucking chair giggling. <laughs> Because you learned a, a good lesson today, and uh, speeding up your audio turns you into chipmunks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I knew that already. I. Um, God damn it! You don't understand. <laughs> I was trying to speed up the um, video only, which that's uh 
trick you can play with if you're editing your film and you need the scene to move a little bit faster. Like if you don't speed it up by too much, it's honestly usually subtle enough that you can't really tell you sped the footage up. By like 0.5 to 1.5? So it's in percentages. Um, so like a regular speed, or it's in percentages in Adobe anyway. I don't know if a different program would show it differently, but like a full, like normal speed film is at 100%. And then um, I bumped a couple of them up to like 150%, so like, mm -hmm. you know, a half step higher. Um, and usually that's, a, depending on what the footage is of, a slow enough um, bump up, I guess. It makes sense, because I always feel when I'm acting for these things that I have to go slower than I would normally you know, like mm -hmm. in a situation, you know, like I have to walk more deliberately or I need to mm -hmm. open a door a lot slower, you know. Well, I was trying to, I think we've talked about the fact that we did that already, so this isn't really a spoiler alert, but I was trying to uh, speed up the footage where the computer is self-typing. Yeah. Um, because I was off screen typing with a wireless uh, keyboard while looking down at a script in my lap and I didn't have like a table or anything, so it was just all in my lap and like, the typing is so slow. I was like, this is painful to watch. Like, good God. Like, was this a kindergartner, like, finger pecking here? So that was what I was trying to speed up. I didn't realize um, the audio file that was attached to it had any speaking in it. I thought it was just the clicking of the yeah. um, keys on the keyboard. So that's why I sped the audio up, too. So I was like, so it'll still match with the yeah. typing on the screen. And it uh, turns out there was definitely talking on that audio file. <laughs> no, you hear <laughs> Brett's like, you don't fucking understand. You don't understand. All of a sudden, like, Brett's intimidating, angry voices, you don't fucking understand. He's sound like the angriest little five-year-old. <laughs> like the, the little bad guys from Space Jam that we were watching the other day. <laughs> I... I went to, like, watch it, though, because I was like, let's see if this is, like, the appropriate speed I wanted it to be, and then it caught me off guard because immediately chipmunk voices were in my ear. I was like, what? <laughs> what is going on with Brett's angry suicide movie? What the fuck is happening here? Yeah, I'm going to do a movie where I just speed up all the audio. <laughs> you guys are going to get the chipmunk version of Brett and I. God damn it. No, you, you said something. I, I, I jotted it down really quick because I kind of wanted to hop back to it. Uh in there where we were talking about being our own actors and you said hiring talent and I'd never thought about that phrase before. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting phrase. It's a common phrase. There's so much talent before the actors show up and I would argue as I have many times in the past that all of the talent is before the actors Aww, show up. That's me. That's, that, that's a joke. But <laughs> like all the writing and all the directing and all the DPing and all of the sound people like that that feels like the talent part of the game. Actors <laughs> are usually referred to as the talent. I know but isn't that an interesting <laughs> phrase like I've never really thought about that before. Uh, Probably wasn't strong enough of a point to jump back <laughs> that hard for. I mean I think it dropped my phone. This, this episode's everywhere. We keep banging stuff. Um, you keep banging stuff. You banged your beer bottle. I'll bang Joe Mama. Oh! <laughs> I'm going to tell her you said that. All right. I'm just going to kick your ass. She's going to love every minute of it. <laughs> You're an <laughs> asshole. Um, no, I, I don't know. I think it kind of depends on the person. Like, I will say for sure a actor that takes it seriously and you know actually enjoys their craft and does the research and stuff like that and brings yeah. like a solid performance um can completely transform a movie for, for sure. sure no i found that whole uh podcast which i'm not going to remember the name of but the award 
podcast or some shit like that, but it's a guy and he interviews famous actors. So like I was listening to the Al Pacino and the Robert De Niro and mm. I really respect those guys. I, I, I realized after the list that I made earlier and what the two actors that just fell out of my head that I have a very certain kind of film <laughs> that I like. But um, yeah, talking, you know, when you hear those guys talk or you see Joker, you know, and you see how that dude goes about it, they, some of them are just stunning. But I'm talking about the talent that we would be working with is... Lower level. <laughs> I'm not give, comparing that to Al Pacino on any day. Well, I think it's a we've double... Had, we've had good luck with the actors that we've worked with. I'm not shooting all For of you down. Part, yeah. I have one particular dude in mind, and that film never released. <laughs> uh, I think it's a double-edged sword, though, to be honest. Um, I think film culture in general kind of inflates actors egos more mm. than necessary i've worked on larger productions with not a-list celebrities per se maybe like b plus celebrities yeah. you know like not quite b movie people actors, you'd see it yeah. you could recognize at the grocery yeah. store but people that can still go to the grocery yeah, store. yeah and people yeah. that have done successful films for sure not people that are just doing like low budget terrible movies mm. um but they're still not like Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie or whatever, you know. The and, only one God ever made. <laughs> <laughs> and then you work with them on set and they have um, an air about them like they are better than everyone else on set. And like I get you don't want the hundreds of extras that are on set for the day harassing your main talent. Yeah. So I do get to some extent kind of separating the extras off and being like, look, you can't bother them. They're trying to work because some people do get real creepy starstruck. For sure. Um, you see extras all the time that have to just stare at the camera. Like they can't <laughs> even walk past the camera without doing something stupid. Yeah. Um, but then it also kind of inflates their ego as being better than every person on the set. I've worked with like people on, like I said, larger productions that weren't these massive, massive celebrities, but they were talented, well-known people. And they treat everyone around them like they're beneath them. And yeah. it's like, oh, God, you're Go kind get of a, me the coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're kind of a gross person, aren't you? Yeah. So I think it's a bit of a double-edged sword. Like I do think a actor who takes their craft seriously can definitely make a movie for sure. And mm -hmm. um, the unfortunate truth is most people watching a movie connect with the actors, not the set or the color or the story. The, yeah. yeah. So the truth is most people watching the film are um, kind of associating most with the actors. But yeah, because like the real talent in like the Quentin Tarantinos. Like when you watch a Tarantino film, people that don't, you know, maybe don't look at film that closely when they see a Tarantino recognize it as a Tarantino. Yeah. Or like a Kubrick, he yeah. drives his talent crazy to get the performance that he wants. He's... Yeah, but that's when the directors are respected. Mm -hmm. Or like if it's based on, based on a successful novel, for example, your, your Harry Potter thing. Like, they check the writing against the book, you yeah. know? And, like, big things like that, I guess, behind the scenes or is Lord where they the would refer even. to it as the talent. Yeah. yeah. I... I... Like the story of Harry Potter makes Harry Potter, not the kids playing the wizards. Like, the story <laughs> is supposed to be cool. Yeah. I... Notice I don't know. I said that. <laughs> supposed to be. I have a bit of a different view on the industry as a whole, though. Um... I think a lot of people that want to be filmmakers like go in with this mentality of like I want to be a famous director, or, yeah, or you know whatever. And like, I was gonna go, I want to be Scorsese, and I was like, that's gonna tie me way too close to the Al Pacino, <laughs> De Niro <laughs> reference that I put out. Um, 
But yeah, like I, I didn't, whenever I realized I wanted to work behind the camera, I didn't have like a moment where I was like, oh, I want to be the next, you know, so-and-so or yeah. whatever. Like I kind of view, I guess, because I have done almost every position. Um, you know, I, I PA'd for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. I've acted, um, you know, so I kind of know what those lower level positions feel like. Yep. I view it as like a team collective. So like, I don't view my work necessarily, I guess, as my work. Like I may be the person at the end of the day who has the final say in it, but to me, it's a, a group effort. So yeah, you're the director, you direct everything that happens on the set. Yeah. So yeah, I guess, yeah, like technically a, everybody's the talent, but that is a common phrase that mm -hmm. the actors are the talent. But it would be saying, like, if you had a professional football team, the coach is not the talent of the team, but the coach, like, trains this team, <laughs> like, brings them here, motivates them, gives them the next play to do. So, I don't know. I think we should redefine what we view as the talent when it comes to the industry. Because I would say that there's you put a lot more into anything that we've done than even, you know, I have. You know, I sit down and I write a script. I hand you the script. My role is done with no, that usually, fucking project. Usually help you have to, when we're filming. You have to take that script, visualize that script, find other people, make them visualize it the same way that you want to visualize it, and then push that whole thing forward you're like the, you know, the fucking Matrix dude with all the TVs where he brings Neo in. <laughs> the creator. <laughs> oh, you help me whenever we're filming our stuff. I do have this picture that I like, though, when we were filming the dolls of me just, like, waving the script around with my hands in the air. I'm like, I look insane. <laughs> just, like, trying to, like, explain something I wanted, and I've got the script in one hand and my other hands up in the air. Like, listen, guys, I know what I'm talking about, I swear. <laughs> I learned something about filmmaking today on accident when I was trying to come up with um, some cool opening shots, which we'll get into later. But they were talking about the uh, creation. Of, I'm going to forget it right when I needed to remember it. What we did to the doorknob where we backed up on the dolly and zoomed in. Oh, um, a dolly zoom. A dolly zoom. You know what I learned today is another name for that? A zolly shot. I fell in love with zolly. the term zolly shot. <laughs> And that's what Hitchcock originally called it when he created it for his film Vertigo. In his opening sequence, I believe, is the first time that they used a Zolly shot. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm going to blow her mind with some new <laughs> I have not know, heard that. thing. And then I, I was reading it, and I was like, that's the fucking other thing that we were talking about. But Zolly is awesome, and I'm never going to forget Zolly. <laughs> Zolly. That is funny. I've never heard that before. Yeah. <laughs> It's a zoom on a dolly. It's a zolly shot. And that is exactly what it is. I'm proud of you. <laughs> See, you're learning stuff. I know. I am. Um, what I else? I still don't know how to write for shit. Well, that's okay. I, it, 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 it's not a talent. I did have a... I'm not going to talk about it on the podcast because I don't want to give away the film that we're doing or any of our ideas in general, but I did have a moment where I was laying in bed this morning waiting on you to wake up where I was like... We could shoot some stuff and put it at the beginning of this movie that I'm working on right now and have it start this way. And then I was like, That no. would be cool. I was like, that's not the move. That would be interesting. You have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, but like I, I, I've worked with you enough to where I can kind of see what you're... <laughs> I was like having some thoughts and I was like, oh, we could shoot this stuff and put it at the beginning and... Like of you working on the film like a, a very meta type thing. Uh... You working on the film that you're working on now. No, it was different, but... A different film? It was for this film, but it was just like extra stuff I wanted to add to the story, and I was like, that's not the move. <laughs> <laughs>
So yeah, I was I was trying to. We can go over connect it with my non-existent writer. <laughs> no, your muse lives in there. Stephen King smokes cigars. I think it's just my procrastination brain trying to kick in. Like, if you shoot some more stuff, we can delay this production forever. <laughs> we'll never finish it. <laughs> um, but, I don't know, I've got a couple of topics here that I, I, I think we could dive into. Um, the first one, just because I've got one interesting fact, so I'm going to meander us off into a road while I drink my beers here, is uh, Unsolved Mysteries is back on Netflix, and I came all over myself when I found that out. Um, every episode just pisses me off, though. It, it really does. I always, like, at the end of every episode, just walk away angry. Yeah. <laughs> but the Unsolved Mysteries, uh, for you youngins out there who don't remember Unsolved Mysteries with the same love that I have in my heart for all the reruns that were on the Lifetime channel for fucking years and I'd watch with my mom, uh, the original ran from 1987 to 1999, and then it went off the air because they switched the block up, so, like, it went from, like, a Wednesday afternoon to a Friday night. And that fucked up their entire audience because they had, like, Wednesday afternoon when everybody got off work and now they're Friday night while everybody's out at the bar. So that fucked them up. Then it got bought by Lifetime, ran for one year from 2001 to 2002, and then it disappeared for six years, was picked up by Spike TV, TV for men, uh, from 2008 to 2010 and flopped once again. But it's back, bitches. It's on Netflix and it's fucking awesome it's not the old show though it's a they've it's redone a reboot it. yeah. yeah like a complete fucking let's go again but the guy that originally did it has passed away he died in 2003 oh so rather than have a narrator which i found very interesting because you used to have the guy and he'd like walk out of the smoke and he'd be like welcome to one soul mystery mm-hmm. or whatever the fuck he said um Instead of a narrator and reenactments, they used interviews um, and found footage to pace the documentary, Mm -hmm. which I know we've done a lot of documentary talk on here. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. We're currently working on a film about documentaries. That's why we do it. Mm -hmm. Um, But how do you feel about that switch? Like that kind of updates the concept of this classic documentary series. I think... For that show in particular, it's smarter to do it that way because I feel like with reenactments, you never really quite connect with the people that the story's about, yeah. like the victim or the bad guy either way. You're just kind of like, oh, this is a compelling fiction story I'm watching. But it worked in um, Innocent Man, the John Grisham one that we were watching. Mm. Like there was the reenactment of her murder where they've got the ketchup bottle on the counter and it's shot like a movie. Yeah, but you also see real stuff don't you isn't there actual not of the murders well no <laughs> no but i mean yeah there like, are interviews and yeah. stuff throughout so there's still like real footage peppered mm-hmm. in there with it i don't mind reenactments that are kind of subtly mixed in with like actual footage and um and they have to be like silent and cinematic you know like in the innocent man like there wasn't any dialogue yeah. in the reenactment i don't necessarily interview over the top of yeah i don't necessarily mind if there's sound per se i do think the less dialogue there is definitely the more effective it tends to be like again like with ours uh when it feels a little too acted out like it starts to feel like you're watching a fiction yeah instead of a documentary um yeah i definitely think going the interview route and kind of mixing in uh reenactments and old footage makes you connect more because like i 
we've only watched three of them, and I walked away from all three of them angry. Yeah, especially, <laughs> like, number two, where it's like he definitely had his wife killed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, like, the third one, where it's like, they pretty much know that dude did it. They yeah. just never found him. So I was just, like, furious by the end. <laughs> so I, I think it's more effective the more you can kind of relate to the real people, because I don't recall... Um, not specifically Unsolved Mysteries, but any of the, like, crime TV shows I watched yeah. growing up. Where like they America's did... Most Wanted and all of that shit. Yeah, where they did, like, reenactments very heavily. I don't recall ever at any point, like, having a visceral reaction. <clears throat> it was just kind of like, oh, that's sad, or... Because it used to be a 30-minute segment, mm-hmm. and then they would have three different stories. So, mm-hmm. like, you only got a 10-minute glimpse at each mm-hmm. thing if you were lucky. Yeah. Or, like, my mom was always really big into crime shows whenever I was growing up, so there'd be, like, these ones where it was, like... Snapped-esque type shows where, like, the yeah, wife... Oh, the fucking yeah. hilarious, like, women's network? Yeah, so we're, like, Serial the... Killer yeah. stuff. Well, my mom watched all kinds of stuff, but that was, like, sometimes what she would mine, watch. Yeah, mine too, but she never got into, like, the women's network Snapped stuff. Like, it was always Lifetime, mm-hmm. you know, like, little hour-long documentaries and Yeah, stuff. so you'd get that little weird bit where, like, you get the reenactment of the wife losing her shit, yeah. hacking up her husband, and my mom would, like... We wouldn't watch it and be like, oh, that's a terrible situation. We'd watch it and my mom would be like, I wanted to get away with murder. I could get away with murder. I've watched <laughs> enough sure of these. I'm pretty sure I could figure it out. <laughs> like, it wasn't a thing that you watched and, like, felt anything mm-hmm. for the people. So I think this is definitely more effective. Like, I, like I said, we've only watched three and I've been mad at all three of them. <laughs> been like, that motherfucker! They're very good, though. But I just like that, like, they replace this classic narrator. Um, and in the past, every other time it jumped, they had a different narrator that tried to take over for the original guy. <coughs> or not, I guess, every time, but definitely after his death, like Spike TV. Um, they had a different narrator try to take over, and it's like, we're not going to be able to replace that voice. It would be mm-hmm. like trying to do America's Most Wanted without the dude whose son was supposedly killed by Gary Ridgway. You know? John Walsh. Yeah. You, I remembered the killer, you remembered the dude. <laughs> that's, that's a good mix. <laughs> I, I remember John Walsh in particular because uh, I think I liked him so much as a host because, again, like you're seeing these narrations where it's or these uh, reenactments where it's a little hard to connect with the yeah. situation, but John Walsh himself seemed very, like, personable. It's like, oh, he's this man who went through this really traumatic thing and lost his kid. And he's kid pissed and... off and he's going to war. Yeah, yeah. so, like, uh, John Walsh in particular always made me feel like, man, he's out there just trying to, you know, <laughs> take down the bad guy. Just fighting the good fight. <laughs> but, yeah, you couldn't do that without him, I don't think. Mm-mm. No, he, he, I, he was... Uh, that show, for mm-hmm. sure. And then I've only got one more interesting fact. I didn't know how we were going to blend any of these topics together, and I've only got one big topic. You're the worst to at go. show notes. I know. I'm not a very good <laughs> podcaster. Uh, but my one Firing fact, you. in 1992... Ooh, you don't know the fact. Did you read the fact? No, I did okay. not. In 1992, this male actor portrayed a murder victim, and it was one of his earliest on-screen appearances. Arguably, his second on-screen appearance, if I understood correctly, following a commercial where he played a Longhorns fan. I have no clue. All right, all right, all right. Matthew McConaughey was one of the reenactment guys. He played a a murder victim in 1992. All right, well, that didn't elicit as much fun and games as I thought it would. 
So let's get this to is a random my, fact. my over the my, my overall point, which is I read an article on Script Mag today that was called something like Hit the Ground Running or Hitting the Ground Running. It was written by William C. Martell. Um, and he used the first 10 pages of the Dawn of the Dead remake to talk about how we're not in the 70s anymore. You can't open up a film with like a 15-minute, this is a normal day. This is John going to the gas station and then John filling up his gas tank and then John doing his laundry. I think some movies still do that okay. I don't think for the most part. I think the Coen brothers do it really well, Mm -hmm. but also the Coen brothers were going to initially be on my list for greatest openings for what else but No Country where he (laughs) takes that fucking guard out with his handcuffs and then zips that dude in the head with the cattle prod. (laughs) Yeah, I I think some movies do still pull it off, but yeah, for the most part, you can't, like, by the 15-minute mark, I need to know what this movie is about for the most part. Yeah, you need to, you can't be expository the way that you used to. Um, where you would have those boring shots and it's like, oh, hi, Phil. Oh, hi, Mary. You know, <laughs> going through your day. Um, you need something to explode or you need somebody to die like five minutes in. We need to be like, there we are. I don't, I don't think it necessarily... <laughs> like hereditary. Fucking head gets yeah, knocked off. That is early in. You're ready to rock. <laughs> I don't think it necessarily has to be that aggressive, though. Like, I... Because you mentioned that we were going to talk about opening shots, and I could not, for the life of me, offhand think of any. So mm-hmm. I was, like, Googling, like, come on. Like, help me out here. Yeah. Um, and I stumbled across the one for Coraline. Um, I'd have to be reminded of the opening shot. Yeah, I've seen I, the film, but I... Yeah. I, thankfully, they had a video clip of it, so I rewatched it because I had to be reminded too. Um, so it's not actually any of the literal movie that's the opening sequence. It's literally just the opening credits. It's maybe two, three minutes long. And um, if anyone, uh, or if anyone's never seen uh, Coraline, it's basically this concept where um, there's an alternate reality where this little girl has what is called the other mother. So it's mm-hmm. basically her mom. But, like, this creepy, like, version of her. And she's got these button eyes and this other version yeah. of her dad. and this other, Tim Burton, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and this other version of, like, her friend um, in this new town that she's moved to. And the other world is supposed to be kind of enticing and pull you in. And ultimately, at the end of the day, the other mother is trying to, like, steal your soul because she's a monster. Yeah. And so the opening credits... Um, the other mother in her true form is almost like this giant spider and she has these really long like scissor-like fingers almost and the whole opening credits is literally just her um, pulling the old doll because she creates these dolls and sends them into the normal world Mm -hmm. to kind of entice the children into coming into her world. She pulls apart like literally rips out the stitches rips out the eye rips out the stuffing of the old doll from the last child's soul that she stole. I remember that. And it's her recreating the doll and at the end it looks like the little girl that the movie's about Coraline and she sends it through the doorway into the other world so the opening sequence isn't like anything really about the movie it's just the other mother making the doll to lure the girl in and like like a fucking crack addictive Pinocchio (laughs) but it's like so subtle if you weren't really paying attention it's like you don't really know what's happening but after you've watched the movie and you're like oh that's her making the doll to steal the mm-hmm. child's soul like it's kind of creepy and it's like really beautifully shot because like you see like 
her ripping the stitches off the mouth and the doll's head just splits open and then she rips the stuffing out and it's like, oh, that's kind of creepy. That's an interesting way of looking at it because I was just looking at opening sequences like because the article that I read was it, taking the first 10 pages mm. of a script and then watching the where that 10 pages ends on the screen, which mm. roughly comes out to the 15 minutes that we used to waste getting gasoline and doing your laundry and how we've switched over in film. But we've watched a lot of... Um, credit sequences at the beginning of movies where we were like you've lost me why are we going over the lake right now with Mm. just 10 minutes of names like why are you not using the space oh you know what a good oh this one's great (laughs) if I can remember the name of it oh no don't go away from me the (laughs) fucking um, is it Matthew McConaughey in the zombie movie uh there are a Thinking of, of the dude from National Born, Nat, Nat, Natural Born Killers. It was in the zombie film. Zombieland. Oh, the, no, that's not Matthew McConaughey. That's, uh... Shoot, he's got the curly hair. Um, he doesn't have curly hair. I'm thinking of... The, oh, Woody the, Harrelson. Yeah, Woody Harrelson. There we go. I, I thought like, you were talking about the... Not Matthew McConaughey, but kind of <laughs> like Matthew McConaughey. I thought you were talking about the yeah. young kid. No, but the opening credit sequence on that, where he even, you know, he's he's going around, he's learning the rules, and then, like, as all the explosions oh, and all the Woody crazy... Oh, that's That's the main actor kid. I can't... It's Jesse No, I'm thinking Eisenberg of Woody Harrelson, or... just to remember the name of oh. the fucking movie. But when they're doing the whole, like, opening sequence, it's like kids getting run over and fucking all mm. this crazy shit's going down as they're scrolling through with the credits. So you could even use that credit space mm. as a form of introducing you into the world instead of just leading us across a lake, you know, and going, oh, it's a lake. They're just weird, like... The a lot of the time you just see like the names that just kind of pop up and it's like, pow, Yeah. Andrew worked on this movie, pow, Bobby worked on this movie. It's like, okay, can I get to the movie? Yeah, I've got <laughs> you. You could use that space to create like your mood for the overall film. Mm. Pull your audience into the world. I think Zombieland does a great job. I'm sad that it wasn't on any of the lists that <laughs> we created today. Um but yeah, I was, I was dancing around with this concept of how to fill that opening sequence to like within the first 10 or 15 minutes instead of we're doing this and it sucks and we're doing that and it sucks. And oh no, here's a magical thing that's occurred that opens up plot A, you know, how to open up plot A in that credit sequence at the very beginning, how to ambush your audience almost with like the world that you're living in so i've got a list of a couple of these and i'm going to know some you're going to know some um we might know a few of them but you want to hit the list sure all right i'm sorry i'm a little all right all right all right right. (laughs) sorry i'm all over the place a little bit my beers caught me (laughs) so the dark knight that is a good one that was the first one that came to mind that Bank robbery scene does something very important if you're roughly our age, if you're in your you know late twenties, early thirties, um, because you remember all of the other renditions of the Batman. So most of them are kind of goofy. <laughs> He's got nipples on his suit. Yeah, Mister Freeze. You know, like fucking the Penguin. The Penguin. <laughs> the Riddler, played by Jim Carrey. You know all that like magenta. You know that was in those fucking movies. What the Dark Knight did better than trying to introduce the Scarecrow in Batman Begins um, was introduce Joker. 
and you don't introduce Joker as the Jack Nicholson, you know, bang flag at the end of his revolver. Mm. You introduce him as a murderous fucking mastermind who convinces all these people to plan this masterful robbery. He kills everybody and drives away in a school bus. And that it, it, that plants you in Gotham. That gives you a concept of what the Batman's going to be up like- against. I like, too, that he's wearing a clown mask, and then you pull it off, yeah. and it's like, oh, it is the Joker. <laughs> there he is, that worn makeup, mm. the fucking sweaty hair, the whole fucking getup. You know where you are in the Batman universe immediately. We're not fucking around. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is if it happened today. I need to go back and rewatch that one. I haven't seen that movie in a while, but that opening sequence is, like, I feel like the most... Uh, memorable introduction of the joker like Mm with uh joaquin's joker it takes a while to build up to really getting the joker so it's not really like whenever you first meet the character i feel like there was a strong open to joker but i can't remember what it was the whole movie was strong (laughs) the whole thing was good (laughs) they nailed it for the whole two hours or whatever it's so good i can't remember the good parts Like every every moment of you know that version, I'm, I'm just like walking, fucking nailed that one to the wall. Uh, my my next one that I had in the list, or we can do one of yours. You want to start with your top of the list? No, I don't care. We can bounce around. All right. So Kristen's first one she wrote down was. Bottom. Bottom. So, yeah, Jaws, classic movie. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Jaws, and I was just like, I don't know. <laughs> I said Jaws already. I said it whenever we first started. Right, well, um, learn rhythm, lady. You learn rhythm. Uh, yeah, no, Jaws is a classic movie, and I kind of like the fact that the opening of the movie is a girl dying, but it's also not a bloody death. Um, mm-hmm. The two naked, drunk couples like run out to the beach, and she goes and hops in the water and then gets... Pulled in. Yeah, eaten by the shark, but you don't really... Like, you know she got eaten by the shark, but you don't really, like, see anything happen. Doesn't blood, like, bubble to the top, and that's... No, I don't think there's blood until he eats the kid. I think she, like, huh. screams and gets yanked under, if I'm remembering right. Like, she's thrashed around. Yeah. She's like, oh, something's got me, you know? <laughs> and then, like... um yeah, I, don't th- I think the first time you see blood in that movie is when it eats the kid, and then it's kind of the geyser of blood, if I'm remembering and right. And it introduces what we're supposed to be afraid of. It does it in sort of a minimalist way mm-hmm. to some random person we have no attachment to, and then they build the attachment. Yeah. And then <coughs> the dude just sleeps the whole like afternoon on the beach. You're like, well, fuck. Like, nobody's even going to know she yeah. got eaten. <laughs> yeah, I can remember after that scene's done, there's that long, silent, pregnant pause you know mm-hmm. of just the, the chaos happened over there it's over it's gone she's gone it's gone yeah and like the dude like i think goes and tells the sheriff or whatever he's like i don't know she just disappeared and then they find her foot or something on the beach <laughs> like oh fuck she's dead <laughs> my next one um the godfather Again, I realize that I've I've got a finite (laughs) amount of films that I really, truly enjoy. Um, What I like about The Godfather's wedding scene from beginning to end, that might be like a whole 15, 20 minute chunk um, from the 70s, but who gives a shit? Uh, From the very beginning, we understand the power that Vito Corleone holds, but also in that time, we get a full snapshot of all of 
the characters. Mm. You get to meet Michael. You get to meet Sonny. You get to meet Fredo. Sonny's beating some dude up over taking a picture. Fredo's hammered, doesn't know where the fuck he is. Get to meet Tom in the office with Vito. You get to see Vito slap around uh, um, the fucking Frank Sinatra character. Slaps him around. You meet Luca Brazzi. You see that Luca terrifies Vito. Like, it establishes all of the power dynamic. Sonny's upstairs fucking one of the bridesmaids. <laughs> you get to meet uh, Connie and her husband, who will die by the end of the film. You know, like it, Spoiler alert, Jesus. It, it came out in, like, 72 <laughs> or some shit like that. <laughs> like, it... it as slow as that movie is for a modern audience, like The Godfather is not a fast-paced movie. It's not violent, really. You know, like the baptism at the end is very violent, and the horse head at the beginning is very violent. But for the most part, it's character-driven. It's you know, like an epic novel. You're not going to like it if you are not willing to pay complete attention to it. But that opening chunk at the wedding is, you know, I had to write that one down. That actually reminds me of one that wasn't on any list that I um, read either. If I'm remembering right, it's been a couple of years since I've seen this movie, Little Miss Sunshine, the one that I was telling you mm-hmm. about, the dysfunctional like family. Yeah. If I'm remembering right, in the opening sequence, you meet the uncle like as he's either committing suicide or trying to commit suicide or after he's already attempted it. I can't remember how they introduce him. You meet... The mom of the family, which is the uncle's brother, or brother, the uncle's sister. <laughs> One of those. <laughs> you're related somehow. Um, it's, it's her brother that tried to commit suicide. not good suicide. at math. <laughs> <laughs> so you meet her, like, I think she gets the phone call that he tried to commit suicide. She's, like, chain-smoking, like, freaking out and, like, trying to hide that she's smoking. And then the dad, who's, like, the super hates losers character... And the group is, like, giving this speech, and you kind of get this sense, because you only see him up on stage, that he's doing it in front of this massive audience, and then the camera pans around, and there's, like, three people in the audience, so you realize, like, oh, he's kind of a loser himself. And then I think they introduce the little girl and the grandpa together at the same time, because they're very close with each other, so you kind of, like, through the opening sequence, meet, like, all these little, like, dysfunctional characters in their, (laughs) like, own little quirky situations. So, yeah, that one's another good one, where it's, like, you kind of, like get a really impactful moment with every character, and then it's like, oh, they're all kind of fucked, aren't they? (laughs) They're all a little (laughs) fucked up. Um, Another one that I think would flow with the the credit-type sequences, have you seen Lord of War with Nicolas Cage? I don't think so, no. It's one of my films that I consider highly underrated. I fucking love Lord of War. Nick Cage did a good movie? Nick Cage has done... He's done a couple of good ones. He's done more bad ones. Not Fast and the Furious. Gone in 60 Seconds and Lord of War. (laughs) Con Air is alright. National Treasure. City of Angels. The one where he plays an angel is pretty good too. Yeah. I, I, I can't take anything away from Nicolas Cage. I also hate the tax man. All salutes up to you, good <laughs> sir. But Lord of War, he plays a arms dealer um, from like Yugoslavia or some shit like that, who you know begins selling Israeli Uzis in Brooklyn or some shit like that, and then goes up the line to the point where he buys like a Soviet 
fucking warehouse. Does he buy you know, a submarine? And he might have bought a submarine, <laughs> but he's definitely buying shitloads of guns and helicopters. He's the guy that can get you anything in the Middle East. And the opening scene, The Lord of War, is it's a little CGI, you know, compared to today's standards, but it follows the life of a bullet. So it goes from the bullet press, you know, where it goes, and then it falls into a crate that's on top of all of these other bullets, and then it gets dumped onto the side of a ship that's, you know, being tossed and turned in the water and picked up and thrown in a crate. And it follows this bullet all the way to Africa, where, like, a 14-year-old child soldier loads it into his AK-47. You follow it up the magazine into the barrel, and then he pulls the trigger, and you follow it into another kid's forehead. Well, that's sad. Thanks for that. That's the opening scene to Lord of War. It follows the life of a single bullet and the damage that it does, and then follows uh, Nicolas Cage's character as he learns the damage that he does by selling the firearms Mm -hmm. across the world. I have to check that one out. I don't think I've seen it. I love Lord of War. I definitely have that DVD. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The next one on your list, which I'm not as familiar with, is Up. Yeah. If you want an opening sequence that'll make you cry, um, I picked a, a couple of animations here. Apparently, I'm <laughs> into the animated openings. Uh, yeah. I, I like that it shows the difference in like our, our yeah, movie taste. Yeah, more lighthearted in your uh, death and destruction. Uh, yeah, no, because the opening sequence is you meet Carl, the old grandpa character in this movie, like when he's younger and his wife, like, when they first meet and fall in love and, like, all their hopes and dreams, they're going to have a baby together, and then they realize they can't have a baby together, so instead they save up their money because they're going to go travel the world together because that was their initial, when they met as little kids, she had, like, this dream to go see this island. I can't remember where it was, and that was, like, her one big dream in life. And, um, yeah, you see them, like, stashing away the money for their, like, dream adventure fun, and then they plan to have kids and can't have kids and then they're like well we'll buy a house and we'll do all these other mm-hmm. things and they keep smashing into their dream fund over the years getting older oh, and older Jesus. like it's heartbreaking because like tiny little things happen like a tree falls on their house or something so they have to break into their adventure fund and fix the house and so she never gets to go to the island that they want to go to is that where they're trying to get in the balloon house mm-hmm. so, and then uh yeah, like they both grow old. So it's not like she dies like young and it's horribly tragic, but they both grow old and she gets sick and she dies and he never took her to the place that he promised he would take wow. her. They never had a family together. Like all these dreams that she had about her life like never happened. But um, like at the end of the movie, you kind of like get this whole sense of like her adventure and her life was being with him and after her death, she wants him to go on and have his own adventure. So it's not like... Pixar was not fucking around <laughs> with their kids' movies. Yeah, it's it's heartbreaking but romantic at the same time because they had this beautiful life together and she didn't regret it and she wants him to carry on and uh the city slowly closes in on his house until their beautiful little home that they grew old together is like in the middle of the city that's where i remember it i do not remember the opening sequence but i think i saw it one time and there's a good chance that i walked (laughs) in you know around the time that we yeah, realize. the opening sequence is heartbreaking because it's literally just like them growing older together and all her hopes and dreams kind of slowly dying away. <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, then the city closes, a developmental area closes in on his home and they want to buy his land and he won't sell it. And then uh, him and his wife had this really beautiful, uh, just plain white mailbox that uh, they were like painting the fence or something and one of them accidentally put their hand on. So it got a handprint on the mailbox. So they just 
We're like, fine, we'll just put our handprints on the mailbox. And it was like their little cute mailbox they had their entire lives. And somebody like bends the mailbox and he gets pissed and like goes and swats them with his cane. And uh, then he buys a shitload of balloons. Well, they, they, which I don't know that that's actually legal. They use that as an excuse to send him to an old people's home and steal his home from him because he attacked a person. So they're going to ship him away to an old person's home and steal his home and bulldoze over all of the dreams that he and his wife had built together. So that's why he buys all the balloons so he can take his house with him and go away that to the is, island that they wanted to go to together. I want to watch that because yeah. that sounds like a story that is really about dementia. <laughs> is, no, it's heartbreakingly beautiful. No, it's like I, this old I, man I'm just sure, desperately like, trying when to... When you watch some kids' movies, you're like, there's a very adult message here. And that sounds like one, you know, about dimension <laughs> well, he, well, he like meets the little little kid and like bonds with the little kid that's yeah the, other the little kid in the movie. with the dog yeah that talks and then they wind up in the desert at some point yeah I don't and they really... find a dodo bird yeah i <laughs> say so i remember sporadic things about this movie i don't i'm up I, I would like to watch up. that it's sounds really fun movie. um the next one on my list is <laughs> totally different direction the good fellas. <laughs> There's a noise in the trunk in the very first lines you hear after they get out and stab the dude to death and then shoot him a whole shitload of times in the trunk. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And then it cuts to Ray Liotta's childhood in The Goodfellas. And it's like, oh, well, now we know where you're going to wind up about halfway through this film. Let's follow your childhood that led you there. We know that you're going to become a violent sociopath, a cocaine addict. They'll drop us back, you know, 12 years ago and bring us here, Mr. Scorsese, so that we can finish the rest of the movie. Uh, speaking of more violent films, Pulp Fiction's another good one. We both start and end in the diner. That's right. The Pulp Fiction opening. What is yeah, the... They start in the diner that the movie ends in. <laughs> and they're sitting no, they at the don't. Tape. Yeah, the beginning of Pulp Fiction's them in the diner They're together. in the car, having the conversation about Royale with cheese. No, it's definitely... On the way to go kill Brett. It starts in the diner. Like, it, the opening sequence is them at the diner, and then the movie winds all the way back around, and they're at you're the right, diner again. You're right, you're right. Because the timeline jumps a whole mm, shitload. Yeah, load. the uh, whole fiction <laughs> makes no sense unless you know what's going yeah. on. Like the first go around, you're like, yeah. what? It's like, how is John Travolta alive at the end? I saw him get shot to death in Bruce Willis's house. What the fuck is going on here? <laughs> yeah, that movie jumps around a lot. But yeah, it starts at the diner and ends at the diner. Um, I'm going to do my two back-to-back because we still need to do one of these. We can have a discussion about one of these, and then I want to close on the last one you've got here. Does that work? Uh All right, so the next one is Children of Men, which Kristen has still not seen. Uh, The opening to Children of Men, basically the plot is um, nobody on Earth can get pregnant anymore. Um, The opening sequence, he's going to a cafe so that he can get a cup of coffee on the TV. I've seen the sequence you showed me, though. On the TV, they're announcing that the youngest man on the planet was recently murdered. Um, Everybody's heartbroken. Everything sucks. So he's walking out of the cafe. The cafe explodes behind him. And welcome to the world. You're like 45 seconds into the movie, and it's like, this is the planet that you are inhabiting right now. This is going to be the next two and a half hours of your life. (laughs) You know that women can't give birth. You know the youngest has just died. The guy who's been sent to protect the only pregnant woman on the planet has seen this news and they tried to kill his ass. 
<laughs> Real quick before you jump to the next one, that reminded me of another one. I don't know what it's called, but the Justin Timberlake movie where uh, the hours of their life are currency. That is great. I love that I'm pretty one. sure in the opening sequence is when he's racing to save his mother's life, right? Yeah. And he doesn't make it in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's another heartbreaking one. Like, I was like, oh, God. Because <laughs> he's, like, running to try to give her just a couple of hours of his life so she doesn't die. Yeah. Yeah, that one's another one. Sad. All right. All these sad openings. We're down to two, but effective. Effective, very effective openings. And that's the point. Think about how you want to open your story. Like, I'm honestly working on my own little apocalyptic thing that I've been working on for like three years. I finally feel like I have a strong opening to that, and I'm probably going to suck the fat out of what I already think is a pretty strong opener. Um, But next on the list just because I can't talk about great things without talking about Wes Craven. Mm -hmm. Scream. Scream is definitely a good one. You like scary movies? Especially if you were (laughs) watching it for the first time, like, back when it released. Yeah. You didn't know Drew Barrymore was about to get her shit fucked up. Yeah, you thought she was the star of the movie. Like, now it'd be like, Drew who? You know? But back then it was like, oh, Drew Barrymore. It's like, she's definitely going to be the hero. She's going to, you know, it's just going to be her boyfriend trying to scare her. And it's like, no, she's going to have her liver pulled out of her body. (laughs) That always cracks me up whenever, uh, I've only seen it a couple of times, but whenever I watch the scary movie version Mm -hmm. and it's like, the model running and she stops and flings her hair. Yep, she doesn't have a bra on her tits are bouncing <laughs> no, He out literally border, steals her steals fake boob. Her, <laughs> cuts out her fucking breast yeah. implant. Scream was much better, but that one cracks me up too. But that establishes your character. It establishes that Craven's kind of playing a joke on himself. You know, it, it, here's a trope. Oh, here's another trope. Oh, how fucked is the industry? So now you're in with it. You're like hanging out with Craven, and then he kills his starlet. Like Hitchcock did in Psycho. He's like, yeah, you weren't expecting that. And then you get a cast of mostly nobodies outside of uh, Courtney Cox, who was only known for Friends, which was not a scary show. Exactly. So it's like, you're like, who are all these people? Wes Craven. Rest in peace, brother. (laughs) I love you. All right, we got one more, and I'm going to let Kristen fucking blow horns all day. (laughs) Um, so Brett and I watched a movie called Heather's, I think right before we moved up here. Cause, it's a cult classic. Yeah, we definitely watched Faith, it in the old apartment. Uh, Faith recommended it to us as, uh, I think one of our two stars. Yeah. Um, or we were talking about watching two stars or something. I don't think it qualified as a two star, but we watched it anyway. Um, very interesting movie concept wise, mm-hmm. but the opening sequence for sure. So you get kind of the bitch bimbo, um, prissy high school girl character who's like got her own little like pack of girls that kind of yeah. follow her around and do whatever she says. And they're called like the, the Heathers. chicks that were on the mountain the other day. Yeah. And they're <laughs> called the Heathers, even though I don't know if any of them besides the main girl's name is Heather. I think the rest of them just call themselves Heather. I don't yeah. know for sure. Um, but yeah, basically do anything in the world to fit in with her because she's the cool kid in school and everybody admires her and adores her and wants to sleep with her. And uh, Veronica is the main character of this movie. And um, fuck, what is her name? She was uh, Edward Scissorhands. She was the main girl in that. But uh, very anti-preppy. Shoe. No, not as <laughs> uh, Very anti-preppy. <laughs> Very anti-preppy college or high school mm. girl or whatever. She's 
uh, dark-haired, fair-skinned, kind of looks a little gothish. Um, and in the opening sequence, they're playing croquet, and Veronica's entire body is buried under the ground, and the only <laughs> thing sticking up is her head, and Heather hits her in the head with one of the croquet balls. <laughs> like, and it kind of shows how much dominance Heather has over the entire school. <laughs> it puts you in the bizarro world that is Heather's. I was trying to think, what was the opening sequence to The Room? And I was like, oh, the first ten minutes were just the San Francisco Bay Bridge and Tommy Wiseau's bobbing man-ass. Yeah, <laughs> you did see that one shot of him on the bus that you liked. You were like, oh, that's a cool shot yeah, of him yeah, riding yeah. by on the bus. <laughs> on the trolley? Yeah. yeah. Well, fuck. Uh, my other favorite opening in all of film history, I think it'll go down as legendary, is, of course, this... This woman I used to know uh, by the name of Kristen Pennington. She's um, long gone, though. <laughs> she's long gone, and it's hard to track her down on the internet. <laughs> but she made this film, The Dolls, that involved a character who becomes so frustrated with the imperfection and the makeup that he smashes a doll's head like open with a sports. fucking hammer. <laughs> And uh, I'll be damned if, despite what everybody says, that doesn't put you in the mood for the rest of the film. <laughs> what is his obsession with the dolls? Will that come back up? You're goddamn right it will. <laughs> I do like that opening sequence. I know it's a lot more tame than what you originally envisioned, but I do actually think it turned out really pretty. I thought it was fucking fantastic, and I wanted to give you a little compliment to end the show on. <laughs> and the, the doll smash was a one-take wonder, much like the door <laughs> being chopped down because we only had one go at it. <laughs> one go at it. Nobody on our side. Well, we're going to go eat some chicken wings. So I need you guys. Uh, we're going to go watch a two-star drunken... This or is, play Hitman. Or play Hitman. I'm not good at it but we'll figure it out um maybe both i'm not sure yet um <laughs> but i need you guys to uh write a review of the show if you enjoy the show please you know leave us a you know at least a three star but let us preferably know that you five star preferably a five but you know at least let us know that you're listening um you can hit us up at Facebook at Facebook.com slash Productions. Or email us directly at NightmareBoxProductions at Gmail. And unlike Tommy was so, I will respond to your emails. You can hit me up at Twitter at, uh, at NightmareBoxPro. Uh, or Instagram where we can see all the pictures of all the things that we've been working on and all our fancy like wedding masks and all of that stuff. At NightmareBoxProductions. Um, or you can go on over to youtube.com slash Kristen Pennington because that lady used to exist where you could watch the dolls <laughs> and you can watch all the things Kristen did before we got married. Go to the website. Uh, there's also youtube.com slash nightmarebox There's also youtube.com slash nightmarebox productions where you can go over and you can watch the films that we've done, the films that we're doing, uh, anything that we do. Just subscribe over there. Write comments and shit. We'll respond to your fucking comments. <laughs> We go over to the website at... The Nightmare Box Top Blog. Uh, where you can see the dolls in the top right-hand corner. You can also see behind-the-scenes footage. You could read the scripts. If you want to try to make these films, you have my full fucking permission. Make the films of the scripts. If you don't have a writer, please do that and submit them via email that we gave earlier. <laughs> um... Or you can go on to Barnes & Noble or Amazon or any of those fucking types of places until I figure out why PayPal hates me and you can buy the, the Madman Diaries a collection or you can just shoot us an email send me $10 I'll send it to you anywhere in the world 
I'm not trying to make money off the thing. I'm just trying to get rid of the books that I have. So, did we hit them all? Yeah. All right. Ready to get drunk and eat chicken wings and yeah. probably wind up shooting all the people in the mansion in the Hitman game? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I remember syrup sandwiches and crumb allowances. I love you. This is my formal announcement, too, that I'm running for president. I am running for president. That was... Kendrick Lamar, not Kanye West, you racist. I know that. I didn't say that, you (laughs) jerk. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know any Kanye West songs. Jesus walks. Jesus walks. You can't. Shoulders, knees, and toes. Knees and toes.